What's up, guys? Max here, back with another episode of the Scuttlebutt Show. Happy Friday here from Okinawa, Japan. I was able to zoom my camera out a little bit, so I hope it's a little less in your face today than it was yesterday. It's great to see you guys all in the chat. By the way, just a heads up, we are streaming to Facebook today too. So you might be watching on Facebook. I might not see your comments if you comment on Facebook, but I'm watching all the YouTube comments. So if you comment on YouTube, I'll obviously see that. And if you're watching on Facebook, I appreciate you guys checking out the show. Now, the reason that I'm streaming to Facebook right now, as well as YouTube, well, I figure it's the last day of the week, so might as well get a little experimental. But ultimately the goal and I know you guys are not going to be able to expect what I'm about to say, is I would like to be able to stream to YouTube and LinkedIn at the same time. LinkedIn, believe it or not, is probably the most underutilized, underserved platform for social media and networking that exists out there. You can get massive, successful results by talking to people on LinkedIn, and I want to get onto LinkedIn with this show. So I applied for their live program, and uh, I... I hope that I get approved for it. It's been, it's a long waiting process because LinkedIn Live is a new thing. So ultimately, I'd like to be able to get on LinkedIn. So what's up, Andrew? What's up, Justin? What's up, Jordan? What's up, everybody watching on Facebook? It's great to see you. Today is March 5th out here in Okinawa, Japan, but that means it's March 4th in the United States, which means it is the anniversary of the conclusion of the Battle of Takagar. So we're going to talk about that. I've also got this crazy story about a Marine trying to conduct a legit insurgency, like a real indisputed, no-joke insurgency that we're going to be talking about. This story is out of control. Apparently, the National Guard's been hospitalized over the food that they've been getting served over in D.C. I mean, if you've been in the military a while, you're probably like, yeah, no, duh. <laughs> that food will get you hospitalized quick. But what a shame. They're just in the United States. They're just in Washington, D.C. We can't get them food that not only is not the best, but just won't put you in the hospital. Come on. We've got some cool stories out of the Navy, Air Force, everything today including an update on the crash out there by Pendleton yesterday. So we got an update on that. So what's up, Scott? March 5th out here in Niger, Africa. Whoa, coming out here from Niger. Welcome. Danger Zone says Coast Guard. Oorah, little Coast Guard. I guess who ya? Steven says, what's up, Max? Let's finish this week on a good note. Good news. Your voice is working this week. Thank you, Steven. I appreciate that. Uh, it's only that one time that we ever had issues. So I'm glad everyone was able to uh, watch that unfold live because that was a train wreck. And then we've got something cool that we're going to finish the show with, which is a video about an army, I want to say army EOD officer who's trying to set a world record with a twist. Okay, so we're going to get to that at the end. Andrew says DC is more of a deployment than Kuwait right now. Kuwait, Qatar, all those kind of UAE, Dubai, all those kind of chill deployments. Oh yeah, those are the best. That's what you want to be on. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Naval Special Warfare history, I'm lucky. I'm one of the lucky ones. I got to serve in Naval Special Warfare as an enabler, as a tech, as a drone pilot. In that time that I was over there, the eight years or so I spent over there between military and civilian, I got to go to Naval Special Warfare Instructor Qualification Course because I worked down at the Advanced Training Command for a little while. And in that was this incredible, incredible event. Every morning of this course for three weeks, this course was actually really in-depth. Got the NEC, the Naval Instructor NEC, and got the one out of NSW. So every day, that course would start with Naval Special Warfare History taught by a man named Rick Nepper. Rick Nepper is a Navy SEAL who served way back when Vietnam came in, just came in the Navy, just at the, uh, he was learning all tactics from guys who had fought in Korea, from UDTs. He comes in there, teaches this class, 
He's a badass warrior, all-around warrior. He's telling us stories about Vietnam, uh, telling us the honest, hard truth about, you know, life after the military and all this stuff and all the combat he's been through. And he's still out there setting world records for swimming, for athletic stuff. He's just a machine, just an all-around incredible guy. Look up Rick Nepper. I'll drop it in the chat here in a minute. Now, Rick Nepper would teach us all about Naval Special Warfare history, going back to UDTs, World War II, Korea, uh, and then into Vietnam and the Gulf War and stuff over in Europe and then into the War on Terror. Now, the War on Terror has this, this moment, this, this episode in history right at the beginning, right at the beginning of the war, six months into the war with an event called the Battle of Takagar, or you might know it as Roberts Ridge. You might know it as Roberts Ridge. This is uh, in March of 2002. So remember, September 2001, 9-11, six months later, after the invasion in November, op- this is still part of Operation Anaconda, the invasion of Afghanistan, goes into Takar Gar. Now, at Takar Gar, I've got the Wikipedia pulled up here so I can remember the names of the aircraft uh, that were involved, the call signs Mako and everyone who was a part of it. This battle ended up resulting in the deaths of seven Americans, many more wounded, including, you might remember, John Chapman, Air Force Tech Sergeant, Tech Sergeant being an E-6 in the Air Force. He was a, uh, he was a combat controller, a CCT, who was awarded the Medal of Honor later, and then Master, now Master Chief Navy SEAL Britt Slabinski also was awarded the Medal of Honor for his heroics that day on Roberts Ridge. So really quick little history story. If you guys are down with that, I hope that you are. We'll talk a little bit about what happened there. So this is from the Wikipedia. I'm not going to read this whole thing. It's a very long story of the whole thing. I hope you guys get a chance to go out there and check out the whole story and uh, go check out the Medal of Honor citations for John Chapman and Brett Slabinski. Britt, B-R-I-T-T, Slabinski. But here's some quick background on it. So it's March 2002, Takar Mountain East in, uh, in Afghanistan. And this was during a time when the Navy and the Army was coordinating who's going to take over the north and south part of Afghanistan and who's in charge of what AO and all this stuff. And this is after, you know, the Navy SEALs and the Marine Corps had done the largest maritime invasion in history to come in and invade Afghanistan. So on March 3rd, the Navy is infilling to go to Takagar to take on, to try to take out some sniper teams that were out there, some bad nefarious actors who were out there. And they're flying over there with the SWORD, Special Operations Aviation Regiment, the 160th, you might know them as. And they've got two aircraft, Mako 30 and Mako 21. And these aircraft are up there flying when one gets shot. So this aircraft gets shot trying to infill the SEALs. And when the aircraft's hit, it tries to take off and then fly down to lower ground because they're landing, you know, pretty high ways up the mountain when Neil Roberts falls out of the aircraft. Okay. So this aircraft's been hit. Neil Roberts falls out of the aircraft. They try to recover him right then and there, but they can't. And the aircraft's too damaged to recover him. So they end up flying back down the mountain. At this point, the, uh, the seals are trying to figure out how to get in there and recover, uh, Neil Roberts. So the, let's see, they've got ISR flying overhead. They've got AC, uh, they've got AC-130s, but it was called away. So there's, it, basically, it's a Swiss cheese effect going on here where uh, everything has that can go wrong is going wrong for these guys. And eventually, so let's go, let me get to the part here so I make sure I get everything right. So I, I kind of know that I'm just going to go off what I what I out of memory here because I'm losing my place in the Wikipedia. So basically, they have to go recover Neil Roberts, who is trapped on this mountain and... Britt Slabinski leads this recovery effort 
gets the helo to go back up there, drop them back off on the mountain. And if you listen to Neil Roberts' interviews, I mean, I'm sorry, Britt Slabinski's interviews on this when they're going up to recover Neil Roberts, basically in his mind and the mind of the other people up there, they were on basically a one-way trip. Like this was in their mind, a suicide mission, a recovery of Neil Roberts. So they fly up there, they get off the helo and they start fighting their way up the mountain. At this point, if you guys have seen the video of John Chapman's Medal of Honor, he charges up the hill, taking out bunkers of enemy uh, who are engaging them with machine guns. At one point, taking somebody out hand-to-hand combat, everybody's fighting up this mountain to go find Neil and everyone's, you know, they're taking massive wounded, they're pinned down by fire. John Chapman ends up getting shot and going down and they end up getting up there to have to exfil their wounded and get back down off the mountain because they're just getting, you know, they're getting guys on high ground shooting down at them. They've taken a bunch of wounded. They have to figure out what to do. So as Britt Slabinski and other SEALs make their way down and he's pulling people off, wounded off the mountain, John Chapman ends up, this long story short here, they get down off the mountain. John Chapman is up there. They think he's dead, but he's not. He was still alive. So he gets end up le- ends up getting left behind up there on the mountain, still alive, and continues to fight the enemy for as long as he can until he's eventually mortally wounded by gunfire and grenades. And he's killed up there on the on Tucker Gar. And then eventually Neil Roberts is recovered, John Chapman's recovered. Now they don't know if Neil Roberts was killed as soon as he fell out of the helicopter, exchanged the initial fire with the enemy, or some say he might have been uh, captured and executed shortly afterward, right there on top of the mountain, but everyone was eventually recovered. And that goes down as one of the first, you know, major lost battles of the war in Afghanistan. Neil Roberts was the first SEAL killed in Afghanistan and ended up being a two Medal of Honor battle, John Chapman and Brit Brit Slabinski. So it was just an absolutely insane uh, battle and story and of heroics and of the Operation Anaconda mission. And so as a result... Uh, that battle lives on in Naval Special Warfare history. It's just this, you know, the Battle of Takagar, the Battle of Roberts Ridge, and this first big engagement by SEALs that kind of made news and made headlines and was a high-profile mission in Afghanistan. Not, not to say that there weren't others. The whole invasion of Afghanistan was full of stuff like that, but a lot of it didn't make headlines and news for specific achievements in battle. So today is the anniversary of Takagar. It's been 19, the 19-year anniversary of that. So I want to share that with you guys and give you a little bit of background on that moment in naval special warfare history for you. If you didn't know that, uh, it's a totally crazy story. So you can check out Brit, B-R-I-T-T Slabinski, and you can go watch that on a on YouTube, there's videos and see his Medal of Honor and all that. Um, and you can go watch the bat, like all these, you know, documentaries on YouTube of the Battle of Roberts Ridge, also known as the Battle of Takagar, because it was on Takagar Mountain. Okay, so what's up to everybody in the chat? Jordan, yes, Rick is a badass for sure. Earl, what's up? Regal, what's up? Good to see you in the chat as always. And JT Knight says, my friend Jared says, your TikTok needs some love. Yeah, hey, go find me on TikTok. I've posted a the skit over there, the skit preview over there on TikTok, a couple clips from the show over there on TikTok. We'll see what happens with that. I don't know. I don't know. We will see. We will see what happens with that. But we do have a bunch of normal stories to cover today. We've got a bunch and it is Friday. So we're going to try to get through them as quickly as possible. It's TGIF. You know how we roll on Fridays. So without further ado, let me get right into today's first big story, which is an update. It's not a happy story, but an update on the crash yesterday at Pendleton. Navy identifies the CB who died in military convoy accident near Camp Pendleton. It was uh, Petty Officer 3rd Class 
Aaron Michael Fish. He was an equipment operator on EO. He was the one killed when those vehicles came to a screeching halt on the highway on I-5 in San Diego. And he was killed when the trailer that was behind their truck was pushed forward into the cab. They don't have any more information right now as to what the cause of the crash was or why these vehicles came to a sudden stop. I went off on a little tangent yesterday about how dangerous it is driving in California. A representative from the command says, Aaron is a cherished member of our team who loved his work, helping others and making people smile. His commanding officer, Commander Ryan Carey, said, Naval uh, uh, Marine Construction Battalion 5 is so grateful for time with Aaron. We miss him deeply. Uh, So it's sad. and he was from NMCB-5. Uh, he was at his first command after training, boot camp and training. He had also deployed to Guam to support with the COVID relief operations out there for the Theodore Roosevelt. And I returned to the United States. And they were doing this, uh, this, uh, this convoy, whatever it was, when he was in this accident. So just an update on that. Danger Zone, it is Friday out here in Okinawa. It's Friday out here in Okinawa. It's my Friday, your Thursday. It's Friday in Africa. So wherever you are in the world, whatever day it is, it's Friday for me and it's five o'clock somewhere. So let's get it going. Um, JT says, yes, that was the semi-accident. Yep. You heard about that. Keith says, uh, what was your rank and rate in the Navy? So Keith, my, um, Keith, my rank and rate in the Navy was I got out as a chief select and I was an aviation electronics technician. So I was an AT one, I was an ATC select when I got out. I know that that's a crazy story. I've told that story a bunch of times on the show. So, uh, without going into it too much now, I hope that that answers your question. Um, but I did a lot of cool jobs in the Navy, not limited to just my job. Chris, what's up? Welcome to the chat. Uh, Chris, you just missed a little background on Naval special warfare history and the Navy identified the sailor who was killed, uh, Navy, Navy mobile construction battalion, I think it's the Navy Marine construction, Navy mobile construction battalion five, uh, the, the sailor who was killed from Naval mobile construction battalion five CBs, EO, uh, EO three, uh, fish was his name, and he was the one killed in the accident yesterday at Camp Pendleton. Let's see. Keith says, you didn't want to make chief? Question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. You know, it's, it is a long story. Uh, I could have extended for a, a week to put on chief, but um, th- there were a lot of factors that went into that. Ultimately, it didn't feel like the right thing to do. I, I would have loved to have done it, but it didn't feel like the morally right thing to do, so I walked away as a first-class chief select out of the Navy. Um, I know that that's crazy, but that's what happened. So there's this story that popped up in a couple places on my feed today, uh, in my emails. What's up, Kilo? Welcome to the chat. And it is, uh, I don't know what to say about it. I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, we got to see what the story says for itself. But apparently, the Marine Corps has a special clothing allowance for underwear that up until now is only for men and not women. So let's see about this. What is the deal with this? Marine Corps gets rid of male-only underwear clothing allowance after review. The Marine Corps has removed a clothing allowance for underwear that was only allotted to men and added a new replacement allowance for female dress pumps following an audit of policy. A government accountability office released this month revealed systemic inequities in out-of-pocket clothing and uniform costs for male and female service members, a really colloquial known as the pink tax, the watchdog organization that found some enlisted women paid more than $8,000 out of pocket over the course of a career for clothing, while some men actually ended up with allowance overages that they could pocket. The disparity 
the GAO found was largely the result of higher costs of some women's uniform items and costs of essentials, not included in clothing calculations that were higher across the board for women. The investigation also prompted the individual military services to review their own policies and calculations. Now, I didn't know this. I thought clothing allowances were not gender-based and everyone got the same clothing allowance. At least I think that's how it works in the, in the Navy. Currently, males receive an annualized standard cash clothing replacement allowance for their underwear, but females do not. How could that possibly be right? The report added that there had been no annualized replacement allowance for female Marines dress pumps, even though they were listed as a required uniform item. Going forward, it said there would be an additional replacement allowance apart from the current $50 one-time allotment. The Marine Corps says that that was an oversight that they're going to fix. Easy to say now, Marine Corps. A spokesman for the Marine Corps Uniform Board and Marine Corps Installations and Logistics, Master Sergeant Andrew Pendraki, who sounds like he's from Game of Thrones. Come over here, Pendraki. Via email, that underwear was issued to Marines in their initial sea bag and was considered a personal item to be purchased at the individual expense following recruit training. During the audit, it was noted that male Marines were receiving an annual replacement allowance to maintain drawers as late as fiscal year 2020. That's so interesting. Was I wonder, anybody out there in the military right now, do you know if you were getting clothing allowance for your underwear? I didn't, I didn't realize that they broke that down like that. That is kind of crazy. I just thought it was a blanket clothing allowance that was meant to cover your, you know, wear and tear of your service uniforms, including your dress uniforms. And then as you get bigger, smaller, depending on if you were, you know, somebody, a leapfrog or somebody and you're getting shorter as your military career goes on, uh, whatever it is that you could get your uniforms tailored and get new patches sewn on and all that stuff, all that costs money. The equity principle also calls for a concept of equal pay for substantially equal work under the same general working conditions. That makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. Got to say, that makes sense. Um, so that's pretty super legit to get a underwear replacement. I think I could use some underwear replacement every once in a while. Hit, hit like on this video if you wear underwear with holes in them. That's what I got to say. Do you wear underwear with holes in them? So let's see. Uh, Keith says, thanks for your service. I uh, appreciate it. Edward says, what's up? And thank you for your service, both you and Chaos. Ah, thanks, Edward. Chris Chaos is a good dude. Steven says, sup, everyone. Hit that like button and subscribe. Let's keep this stream going and support Max. Anyone else getting buffering? Oh, you guys are getting buffering? That's going to be my fault then because that's because I'm going out to Facebook as well. I'm trying to figure out this thing uh, with Facebook. And at this point, there's nothing I can do to stop it, unfortunately. So, yep, we're dropping some frames. You guys are probably getting buffering. I hope the audio is good at least. Uh, we're going to keep trying to figure this thing out so I can get out to at least one other service besides YouTube. And next week, I'll be back to going just to YouTube so that way you guys don't get this buffering. And I don't know what else I can do to uh, reduce my internet use right now. It's as low as I can go. So I did, uh, I did tell you guys at the beginning of the show, let's see, Justin says, hello, whack buffering today. I've been trying to be nice and silent. Ah, oh, Justin, I apologize, dude. I do apologize to everyone for the buffering. Regal says, I've got underwear from 2008. Nice, nicely done. That's fiscally responsible. So there was a story today uh, from... A lot of sources, originally from the Detroit News, that the National Guard is getting sick from their food in D.C. So I'm going to read this National uh, Guard article from Task and Purpose, which was originally posted in the Detroit, if you see this, the D Detroit News. So the National Guard is getting roasted, which is more than we can say for the food soldiers that are getting at the Capitol. Badly undercooked, raw and moldy meals is what they say. Let's see. So more than a dozen Michigan lawmakers say troops with the Michigan National Guard, so that's why it's from Detroit, because this is about the Michigan National Guard, have been served badly undercooked, raw, moldy meals, with some even dining on food filled with metal shavings. What? 
How does that even happen? Food filled with metal shavings, according to a letter addressed to the National Guard Chief General Daniel Hawkinson, the unsavory food first reported by the Detroit News. The members of the National Guard have served honorably throughout the duration of this operation, which, by the way, just got a 60-day extension request, which is insane to me. We must never turn our backs on our soldiers, especially as they have demonstrated time and time again that they haven't turned their backs on us. So do they have the pictures in this article here down of the, uh, of the, of the food? Let's see. I think I got it somewhere. Um, let's see. What's this? We got this video here. Of what appears to be, what is that? Oh, that was disgusting. So there's this, if you were listening on the podcast, something just crawled out of the food. Something just crawled out of the food that they're eating over there in the Capitol that the National Guard is getting. Look at this raw chicken right here on this picture from the Detroit News. Raw chicken. People are getting sick, hospitalized. Oh, what? Oh, my God. That is disgusting. How can that be? Uh, uh. And the wor- even worse, I've got this other article here, is that National Guard says it will not cut ties with the contractor that's serving this food. So they're going to keep serving the food from the same contractor. Oh, my gosh. How insane. You know, we cover a lot of stories about bad food that the military gets on this show, and that was absolutely horrible. That was gross. Let's see. What do they say here? The Army and National Guard have a great amount of leeway here that they aren't using, Chaps wrote. The National Guard and the spokespeople aren't in some forward-deployed area relying on contracted work from other countries on this mission. They don't have to concern themselves with international logistics in order to provide meals to the soldiers currently assigned in D.C. There is no food shortage in D.C. So that's coming from... uh, That's coming from... Let's see, who said that? Grinston. Uh, who is this? So somebody is saying basically it's the National Guard's fault, which I totally believe. The National Guard continues to closely monitor quality and safety of meals provided in its personnel. Hall acknowledged problems with food being served and said that the Guard has taken steps to improve food quality, those spot checks and inspections of kitchens for safety and cleanliness. The Guard is working with the contractors to address these concerns. Vendor facilities have been inspected multiple times with no substantial issues being reported. Jeez, the chaps at Barstool Sports even called them out. Influential military blog Zero Blog 30, who put Sergeant Major uh, of the Army Michael Grinston on blast over Twitter. So that's what Grinston said. Grinston said that the, Ar- that the Army's working closely to figure out that the food, a way to make the food better. But uncooked food, uncooked chicken, people getting sick out there at D.C., that's really sad. That's a bummer. Like, it seems so unnecessary. Oh, so unnecessary. Kilo says, sounds like regular army chow. Justin says, no antifreeze to drink. Yeah, that's what you need in your MRE is a little packet of powdered antifreeze that you can add in there. Let's see, Andrew says, camp Aushin, anyone? I don't know about that camp. Uh, I don't eat chicken to the bone this day, thanks to the army. Oh, man. You don't eat chicken on the bone. Yeah, I got food poisoned off chicken one time, and it just changes the whole way you look at food. Bro, remember Pensacola Galley, so good. Pens- oh, we got a dono. A dono from Pretty Boy Swag. Thank you. Finishing this stream week strong. Far better than new Air Force PT uniforms. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm glad you liked the article. Sorry about the stream. If the quality's a little low, people are watching over on Facebook now. Uh, but I guess I don't have quite the internet it takes to stream to two yet. So Pensacola Galley was good. I was there pre-hurricane. I was there pre-hurricane Maria or whatever it was that took out Pensacola, and it was so good. Jordan says extra protein worm. Oh, that's so gross. 
Ugly Duckling, they had holes in their underwear. Yep, that's why they. Uh, that's why the food's bad for sure. Andrew says one of the spokespeople said something about there are MREs to eat. That was his battle buddy. So, hey, you know what? If it was me, I've chosen MREs as opposed to what I've gotten at the DFAC. We had, uh, we had food at the DFAC that would oftentimes be so bad. And frankly, to be totally honest, just so bad for you that I would actually choose MREs as the healthy option. I would go with an MRE as the healthy option as opposed to eating what was being made at the DFAC. So if that tells you something, of course, I had buffer when you talk about this. Oh, sorry. So the Pensacola Galley was really good. I, uh, I had the Pensacola Galley before a hurricane came in that wiped out like the mega building and all that. So I had old school Pensacola Galley. Justin, I'm not sure when you were there, but was it before or after a hurricane? Remind me. I feel like it was after the hurricane. Um, I've chosen MREs over DFAC food. I feel like I got a healthier option than uh, what was being made at the, at, the, at the DFAC, and I would choose an MRE many, many a time. Many a time. All right, so let's, uh, oh, yeah, the new one. I left Pensacola the day before that hurricane hit, and everyone who was still there that next day and afterwards was there for six months to a year cleaning up Pensacola. Oh, man, horrible, horrible. Uh, I wonder if the National Guard can just go out and buy their own food. Can the National Guard just walk out into, the, into town and buy their own food? I'm assuming that that food's for people on duty and that they're not being, like, locked down to just inside the Capitol perimeter can't they leave can't they go out on liberty and stuff i would assume like can't they that would make sense to me so i don't even know how much i want to cover this next article but i have to tell you guys the headline because it's one of the i don't know if it's the greatest or the worst headline of all time but there's only one thing i know for sure it's super legit and this headline is navy officer convicted of living with prostitutes in bahrain partially gets off. I have a feeling he was fully getting off on a regular basis from this bachelor lifestyle. He was living in Bahrain, living with prostitutes, getting completely off on a regular basis, but he is getting kicked out of the Navy. So I'm not sure if you guys heard about this, this Bahrain prostitution scandal that was, I got, I hope it wasn't buffering right then when I told that epic joke. I hope you guys heard that. Please let me know that you heard that. Audra, what's up? Welcome to the chat. Uh, you know what I always used to call MREs? I used to call Mr. E's. Like the MR was a Mr. and then the E because those are mysteries to me. So here we go. A former Navy officer was convicted in May 2019 of living with prostitutes in Bahrain has partially gotten off thanks to an appeals court ruling. Former Lieutenant Commander Joseph Nelson was found guilty at trial of going absent without leave, patronizing prostitutes, and two specifications of conduct unbecoming an officer, according to the Navy. He was initially sentenced to dismissal from the Navy and was ordered to pay $8,000 per month for four months. But on February 8th, the United States Navy Marine Corps Court of Appeals threw out one of the two charges of conduct unbecoming an officer against Nelson due to insufficient evidence. While the court reduced his monthly forfeiture pay, it also upheld his dismissal from the Navy. So he is getting kicked out. There is all these human trafficking prostitution stories coming out of Bahrain. And if you've ever been to Bahrain, they are always hassling you out there. They'll come up to you to buy me a drink, girls. They're on the streets. It's, it's the real deal out there. It's a problem. So let's see. He, so anyway, I'm not going to go into this whole story. I didn't, I didn't really want to cover it, but yeah, he's getting kicked out of the Navy and, uh, he's going to have to pay back some money and it looks like he won't have to do any prison time, which is good. Um, but that was kind of, that was kind of, I, I just mainly had to tell you guys that headline of Navy officer living with prostitutes is not getting partially off. He's getting completely off. I hope you guys appreciate that one. I put a lot of thought into that one. I spent a good 10 minutes for the show on that one. So I hope you guys appreciate it. Um, now, 
I've got this story. This is the big, we might get out of here early today, guys, to be honest. Um, I've got this story. This is the big story I wanted to cover today. We're talking a real insurgency. Okay, hang on. I might be buffering again right now. Hang on. Let me, let me see if I can predict my own buffering. I might be buffering. Let's see if I catch up. Okay, so, so a real, actual, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, insurgency conducted by a Marine has just been thwarted. And I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but I've got the story right here. And the story is not about Washington, D.C. It is about this Marine veteran sentenced for smuggling guns to Haiti to train the army and then become the president. Let me say it again. Marine veteran sentenced for smuggling guns to Haiti to train army and become president. Okay, now who is this guy? It is Jacques Drousseau. I mean, what a name. Like, if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be somebody almost named uh, Jacques Cousteau. So we got Jacques Drousseau over here. I got a couple pictures of him pulled up on the screen right now that I hope you guys can see. Let's talk about this story really quick. A former Marine sergeant who used fake papers to show he was a colonel as he illegally transported firearms to his native Haiti with aspirations of training the army and becoming the country's president has been sentenced to five years in U.S. federal prisons. Jacques Yves Sebastian Drusso, 34 years old, was convicted in December 2020 on charges of conspiracy to illegally export and smuggle firearms and controlled equipment from the United States to Haiti as well as transporting firearms without a license to the Haitian army. How many times have we heard these stories about people in the military trying to sell military weapons to other people, either for profit or for a coup, I guess? In April 2019, DeRusso began making plans to return to Haiti, contacting a person in the country whose name was not listed in court documents about his plan. DeRusso, a Marine firearms instructor, got a friend identified as TH, who was a sergeant in the Marine Corps, Individual Ready Reserve IRR, to alter paperwork claiming he was a Marine colonel on orders to Port-au-Prince, Haiti. DeRusso also had TH buy him an American Airlines airplane ticket from the Coastal Carolina Regional Airport to New Bern, North Carolina, near Camp Lejeune, to Haiti for November 11, 2019. The duo arrived at the airport on that date. DeRusso was in civilian attire, but his IRR sergeant friend was dressed in Marine utilities. That's dumb. Wearing the rank of captain, so that's impersonating an officer. That's court-martial right there. They brought along three suitcases and three containers, two of which were filled with firearms and a third full of ammunition. What must have been going through their minds when they were actually conducting this insane attempted overthrow of the Haitian government for him to become president? Like, this is some, this should be a movie. This is out of control. This is totally crazy. Totally crazy. TH played the role of DeRusso's subordinate taking notes on the contents of the containers. The pair filled out paperwork with the airline to transport these items. What? Have you ever flown commercial with military weapons? It's a whole process. You have to have them properly contained, properly locked. You have to declare them when you get to the front desk. You have to show them orders, your military IDs, everybody who's traveling. They have to be escorted at all times. This is a big deal. When you're traveling with sensitive items through commercial airlines, this is a big deal. But all commercial airlines do have procedures for flying people with uh, weapons. So we've had people fly straight into Iraq with American weapons. You know, you would be going there on a deployment. You got to bring your weapon. You fly in there with it. You're traveling on the, in the cargo load of the plane. Like this is not unusual stuff. Just so you guys know, officials inspected DeRusso's luggage when he landed in Haiti. The sergeant freely admitted to investigators that he traveled to his native Haiti to help Haitian people defeat the thugs that have been creating a little bit of a part of the instability in Haiti. 
TH told investigators that DeRusso planned to move to Haiti, work with its police, and eventually run for president. He said he was going to live in Haiti and wanted to take his firearms with him. So I guess he was going to go AWOL from the government or wait until he got out or whatever it is. It says he had four 9mm pistols, one 45 caliber pistol, two 5.56 semi-automatic rifles, I assume M4s, and one 300 Win Mag bolt-action rifle. Naval Criminal Investigative Services, otherwise known as NCIS, identified electronic traces showing DeRusso as the purchaser of the weapons, some as recently as October 2019, others from previous years. Wow. DeRusso was detained and charged upon his return to the United States. He was indicted in January 2020 and faced a three-day trial in early December 2020 in which the jury found him guilty on five of six counts, all related to the transport and smuggling of firearms. The sergeant was found not guilty of impersonating an officer. How does that make any sense? He obviously did it. So I don't know how he was found not guilty unless they just put all the blame on Sergeant Jacques DeRusso. Jacques DeRusso. Well, look. Maybe either he was crazy or he had good intentions. He might have been crazy. He might have had good intentions. A combination of the two. But either way, that was really dumb. Look here. He was a competitor with the Marine Corps shooting team. They have a picture of him here jumping over a four-foot wall during the Australian Army Skill at Arms meeting 2016 in Australia. I wonder if he was out here in Okinawa. So his whole... So he was obviously a somewhat talented firearms instructor, Marine. He has a ton of pictures on the internet, professional photos. He's got, he's been pictured in army magazines and websites. He is kind of all over. This is, I don't know what this is a picture of. I don't think this is him. Um, But he's obviously been around the Marine Corps a little bit. So he's kind of a high profile dude. I just can't believe he would try to pull something like this off. How crazy. How bananas is that? That's pretty wacko stuff. So he's in big trouble. He's totally going to be sunk. Um, I'm sorry about the buffering, you guys. I am really sorry about it. Sounds like a name from Lay Rob. Stephen says, curious what kind of weapons Kilo says. Andrew says, we just carried our weapons on board. No knives, though. We, we had to take the bolts out. Andrew says, we had bolts and everything. Both times I've flown overseas to Europe, one to Kuwait, but it was chartered. So if it's chartered, that's different. So I'm talking like... I'm talking about you drive to the airport. You've got your Pelican case locked up with your weapons inside. You check into like a Delta United, whatever flight full of civilians. You're the only military person on there. You're on orders. You got to get there. You check in your weapons and you go take that flight. This is not a charter flight. This is not a military flight. This flight's not taken off from base. It's taken off from a regular airport. You go in there and you fly with your weapons. It's pretty common. I've done it a few times. I've done it maybe five times. And, uh, every time it's pretty easy stuff. You just got to declare it. You got to check in. You got to make sure, you know, escort it to when it gets into baggage. You got to pick it up as soon as it gets off the airport, stuff like that. I, uh, I see the, I see the, I see the, uh, the, the lag here, guys. I do apologize on behalf of myself, um, for that, but I will say, uh, I will say that this whole episode will be available as normal on podcast and on streaming later. And hopefully it will be without the podcast will definitely be without any skips. Uh, but I'm still trying to figure out this multi-service streaming thing. Now this episode is going to end up being a short episode anyway, and I'm happy to answer any questions you guys have since today is a short episode and kind of having streaming issues. But I do have one more thing for you guys, which is a pretty interesting, pretty cool story that I thought there is this, uh, female. Let's see. Justin says, uh, even with the heads up phone call and paperwork, it's a pain in, in the D. It is a pain. I agree. It's a total pain. Andrew says, I've only done that as a civilian, so that's probably a hassle. 
it's not that bad. It's not that like, it's just more stressful than anything else. Um, and then if the airline is, uh, you know, not giving you too hard of a time, that's pretty cool too. But sometimes they like to bust your butt, um, as you know, airlines tend to do. So I've got one more, I've got one more story for you guys. And it's, uh, it's a pretty cool one out of the army. And I just saw this, uh, pop up today and it's this army EOD officer who's trying to set a world record. She's trying, I almost spoiled it. Uh, sorry, Chris, the stream is laggy. It's my fault. I'm trying, I'm streaming to Facebook right now too, trying to test out this multi-stream capability. I think it's my fault on my end. So there's this army EOD officer who's trying to set a world record for running with their entire EOD suit. And I want to share this video with you guys so you can see and hopefully support this army EOD officer who's going to try to set the world record for running, wearing full gear, full army EOD gear. And I've got the video pulled up right here. So I want to share this with you guys. Check this out with me and, uh, and then we'll chat a little bit and we'll bounce out of here and get ready for the weekend. Check this out. Hi, I am Captain Caitlin Hernandez, and I am the commander for the 717th Ordnance Company EOD out of Fort Campbell. EOD, Explosive Ordnance Disposal, or U.S. Army Bomb Squad. <laughs> so, the current world record holder, Ashley Sorensen, she's a friend of mine, um, and I saw her do it, and she was a badass, and I, and I loved watching her break through her goals. It's been a few years since then. The opportunity popped up on my social media and got excited. I was like, you know what, I'm gonna give it a try. So there you go. Uh, Caitlin Hernandez is going to try to set the world record for running in her full EOD suit. She's obviously super fit. That's going to be on April 3rd, 2021. So that we're about a little over, a little under a month away from that. Maybe I'll live stream that. Maybe we'll live stream. We'll be rooting for Caitlin. She's obviously in great shape. You can see her doing some CrossFit over there. Uh, super fit, super fit female EOD officer. Probably could out fitness me any day of the week. And uh, probably most of us out there. So sorry, Scat. I know it's stream lag. I know, dude. I'm going to post. Here's what I'm going to do because I know that the stream's lagging. I'll post the good stories from today as their own individual videos after this. And the, uh, the podcast will be available after this too. And that will have no lag. Obviously I'm, I've got a good recording of everything over here on my end. So it should be no problem to get this out to you guys in a little bit higher quality, or I'll just repost the episode and you guys can check the, uh, the details on it. So, um, that's pretty much all I have for today. I know it's only 1140 out here. So it's only 1840 back in the United States, but, uh, I am happy to uh, answer any questions you guys have before I go. She definitely isn't failing that new Army PT, for sure. For sure. She's going to out-PT most, if not all, of the dudes out there. There's no question about that. So good for her. I'm, uh, I'm rooting for her. I hope that she gets that world record. That would be pretty awesome. I hope you guys are doing well out there in the United States, in Africa, in Guam, wherever you are worldwide. I hope you're all doing well, whether you're a veteran, active duty, or getting ready to join the military, you got family member in the military. I want to thank you as always for checking out the show. Um, that is awesome. What are firefighters called in the Navy? Damage controlmen. Oh, Scad, I know you asked me about damage controlmen out there in the, uh, in the, in the discord. And I haven't gotten back to you yet. Sorry. I'll, uh, I'll try to hit you up today. Damage control is a pretty crazy job. It's definitely a lot of responsibility and you have a lot more than firefighting to worry about. You could be on a ship over there in DC central monitoring every aspect of the ship's well-being. And if there's any kind of incident, you're totally responsible for re responding to it and fixing it and all that stuff. Let's see. Jordan says, 
Did I ever have a deployment on a carrier or a destroyer? I did. I deployed on an aircraft carrier, uh, the USS Ronald Reagan. I was ship's company on that thing. My very first job in the military was ship's company on the USS Ronald Reagan. I was a aviation undesignated airman. So I was working as a, a fuelie, a purple shirt, an ABF uh, for, for a little while. And then I struck my rate of AT um, where I went to go work on the ship as an AT for a little while too. I did the, uh, w- about half of the Westpac out there before I left to go to school for the Navy. And then I did a deployment on a small boy, a little, uh, supply ship, a USNS, US Naval ship, uh, mostly full of civilians. And we were the only militaries, uh, military people out there. DCs and HTs fight fires. DCs are like the technical side of firefighting. Like they're monitoring, you know, if the, sh- if the ship needs repairs, needs to be shored up, whatever, you have to, uh, you know, get out there and take care of it as a DC man. They have a great job, actually, a really cool job. And uh, you get to do a lot of drills. That's what I'll say. If you're a DC man, I hope you like doing drills and uh, practicing because there's a lot of that. But hey, you need to when the day comes. If you were on the, uh, what were the ships that crashed a couple years ago? The McCain and the Washington or something? Um, my daughter did both a DDG and a carrier. That's awesome, Audra. I've never been on board a DDG. Have you went and seen the battleship? Uh, what, what do you mean? I don't think I have, I've never been on a battleship. I've never been on a battleship museum or anything like that, but I'm not sure what you mean. Unless you mean the movie battleship, uh, which I did see and I loved it. I thought it was an awesome movie. Um, yeah, I see my stream is just lagging out there for you guys. That's a bummer. That's not super legit. Hashtag not super legit. So that's a bummer about the stream. I'll post the whole thing, uh, to, uh, YouTube and to, um, podcast. Do you have anything to say about fire controlman or electronic technician? Uh, well, you know, fire controlman, all of my experiences working with fire controlman was, uh, them working on the weapon systems and they had a pretty cool job. Uh, they were just doing like making sure that all the weapons, like our, our self-defense weapons, like Seawiz, for example, were capable of doing their doing their thing, working on that equipment. I got to go do a couple little things with them when I was doing my surface warfare pin, and it seemed like a pretty cool job. E.T., I, if, if you are looking at E.T., we just did an episode with a, a female named Ashley, and Ashley is an E.T., and she's been on all kinds of Navy stuff. She was on Navy... Uh, uh, actual U S Navy videos about being an ET and she was, um, and, uh, on a battle bunker. I saw her on there where she was repping the Navy on Austin Alexander's battle bunker. So go watch our old episode with Ashley Figueroa on YouTube here and, uh, check out everything there is to know about being an ET. Let's see. Larry says I visited BB 55 USS North Carolina. That's awesome. Andrew says, damn, been on the North Carolina and Wilmington was freaking cool. I need to go see if I can get on one. Dang, man, growing overnight, you are super legit. Thank you very much. I'm trying to be as super legit as possible. Those super legit shirts will be dropping super soon, uh, and you guys can get yours. Like I said, you can get it now, but uh, wait a few days, and I'll, I'll be able to show you actual pictures of them in person, and you can get them then having a little bit more uh, assured assuredness of the fit and size and all that. So <clears throat> let's see. Yeah, I'm getting like warnings here on my YouTube about my bit rates being too low. I just can't do the multi-stream. I just don't have, my internet doesn't have what it takes for multi-stream. I see that. I see that now, you guys. I uh, just can't can't hack it. So I got to try to figure that out for sure. Um, we, we, we're not going to try to do more uh, multi-stream stuff until I get some new internet out here. 
There's a faster internet out here in Okinawa that I really need to get installed at our place. I visited the Wisconsin and the Lexington, Audra says. That's awesome. I've uh, The only ships that I've vis- ever visited was the Midway in San Diego. That's the only ship I've ever visited, been on, that I wasn't stationed on was the USS Midway. So, hey guys, I'll probably look at wrapping it up because obviously the stream's having major issues. Uh, I appreciate you guys being here all week. I hope you had a good time. I had a great time this week. I had a really fun time. Shout out to Chris Chaos for being on the show this week. That was so fun. He's a great dude. Thank you guys for being out here with me. As always, there are links in the description down below where you can check out all the ways to support the channel, including Patreon, buying merch, uh, donos. But right now, one of the best ways to support the channel is just to share these videos and invite people to come watch and check it out. Um, Jordan says, still good episode regardless of the lag. Thank you very much. I think the Wisconsin was the last to fire 16-inch guns. And Larry is deaf East Coaster. Oh, Larry's up, up there repping the East Coast. So check out the links in the description down below for all the ways to support the channel. As always, all the old episodes, including Ashley Figueroa, out there for Jordan, who was asking about it. Check out that episode. It's all available on podcast too, wherever you stream podcasts. The hashtag super legit shirt is out now, but uh, I'm waiting to get my test copy so I can show you guys how it looks on me so you know what you're getting. Um, but like I said, at scuttlebuttshow.com, you can get your hashtag super legit shirt uh, as of today. And that's a great way to support the channel too. I appreciate you guys being here all week as always. And we'll be back next week with brand new episodes and less lag. I promise you that. Um, I guess, oh, by the way, just a heads up for everybody watching the live stream today, we're going to be recording another skit this weekend. So stay tuned for episode two of talk talks. I hope you guys like the first one. If you haven't had a chance to check out talk talks, my time with Navy SEALs, that little skit we did, go check it out on the channel now. And, uh, new ones are going to be coming out hopefully every week, hopefully every week, but it's going to be a lot of fun to make those. And with that being said, I suppose I look forward to talking to you guys very soon, next week, in fact, next uh, Sunday, 1800 Pacific Standard Time in the United States. It'll be Monday out here in Okinawa. Until then, I look forward to talking to you guys very soon. I'm out for now.